This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from Wanangini, Gurringai land, and this is The Full Story. Earlier this month, the world recorded the hottest ever day. Monday was the hottest day the planet has experienced. A record that was broken the very next day. Right now. Earth reaching its highest temperature on record for a fourth day in a row. In Australia, after three wet years, experts warn we may be in for a dry El Nino summer. And they say residents need to prepare. Today, is Australia set for a summer of heat waves and bushfires? It's Tuesday, the 25th of July. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. What does this all mean for summer in Australia? If you're looking at those news headlines and feeling worried, what do we need to know? It is still slightly too early to say whether Australia is in for a scorching summer. Donna Liu is a science writer for Guardian Australia. And there's no guarantee that we'll see record-smashing heat that we've been seeing in parts of the Northern Hemisphere. There's no amount of resources on the ground or from the sky that's going to be able to stop one of these fires when they when they get the momentum. So dangerous. Experts say inhaling this for 24 hours is equivalent. 1,000 Europeans were killed by extreme heat last summer. Temperatures may well be higher for longer this summer. These are not your normal weather systems of the past. They have arrived as a consequence of climate change. The extremes in the Northern Hemisphere are linked to weather patterns which are allowing heat to build in some places and rain to continue in others. And on top of this, of course, human-caused climate change is raising temperatures to new heights. Mm. But the particular atmospheric patterns that are bringing these extremes to the Northern Hemisphere aren't exactly replicated in the Southern Hemisphere. But something that's complicating the picture is the fact that the UN's weather agency has recently warned that the world is now in the grip of an El Nino, which would likely see a surge in global temperatures and disruptive weather and climate patterns around the planet. But in Australia, the Bureau of Meteorology still hasn't confirmed that an El Nino is in place. Hmm. Why is Australia at odds with the rest of the world in declaring an El Nino? So the bomb is yet to upgrade its El Nino forecast beyond alert status, which suggests a 70% chance of one developing. And it hasn't declared it yet because the criteria for an El Nino is different in every country and it's still too soon here to make the call. There are two key elements of an El Nino, and that's to do with ocean temperatures in parts of the Pacific and wind changes in the atmosphere. And 
Experts at the CSIRO have told my colleague Graeme Redfern that the ocean has said we're ready to go, but the atmosphere hasn't quite come to the party yet. Very fun. (laughs) Okay, so El Nino or otherwise, what are the predictions ahead for the Australian summer? It is highly likely that we'll need to prepare for a warmer and drier summer after three consecutive years of La Nina, which brought cooler conditions. And we do know that Australia has warmed by 1.4 degrees over the past century compared with a global average of 1.1 degrees. Mm. I spoke to Associate Professor Sarah Perkins Kirkpatrick, who is a climate scientist at the University of New South Wales, and she focuses on heat waves. And she told me that if we have an El Nino this year that is supercharged by climate change, then we could be in for a very bad summer. Very bad as in bushfire bad? Bushfire bad. A Climate Council report from February suggests that an El Nino would raise the risk of major forest fires this coming summer. And it suggests that the summer of 2023 to 2024 will, quote, almost certainly see a return to normal or above normal fire conditions across most of Australia, Mm. unfortunately. And The Guardian has also recently spoken to former Fire and Rescue New South Wales Commissioner Greg Mullins, who has said he is expecting bushfires this summer. And he pointed to the fact that Australia's east coast has historically experienced bushfires after every triple La Nina event, which are relatively rare. So these three-peat La Ninas have happened in the mid-50s, the mid-70s and the late 90s, and they were subsequently followed by bad fires. Right. So firefighters are warning about the summer ahead, but are we prepared for bushfires? Well, we know that burning to manage fuel loads is just about the only broad preventative measure that we can take. But the issue is that damp conditions have restricted where this can occur. And Greg Mullins says there's been a three-year backlog essentially because when it's wet, nothing burns. Mm. And hazard reduction burns are also really important for grasslands because they dry out really quickly and they generally result in less intense fires than forest fires, but they're also very dangerous because they can spread much quicker. And the La Nina years have obviously provided ideal growing conditions in these grasslands, but also in forests. And fire chiefs are warning that a level of bushfire complacency has crept into the community after these last three years. So Donna, if we are about to face another bushfire season, possibly, which areas are most likely to be affected? That Climate Council report says there are large areas in Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria, including around major population centres, so places like Sydney, Newcastle and Wollongong, that are at increased risk because they were largely untouched by the Black Summer fires. Can you break that down a little bit? Why would an area that didn't burn last time be more likely to burn this time? So essentially it's fuel load, right? So those areas that were affected in 2019, 2020, um, a lot of those forests have now regrown slightly, but because there was such a huge biomass of things that burnt then, there's less of that biomass now. Mm. It seems like there's so much more unpredictable weather. We, we couldn't really see a lot of the flooding that's happened in advance. Is it getting harder to predict things like bushfires and extreme weather? I mean, it seems trite to say that we're living in unprecedented times, but I mean, even scientists are worried by 
the pace at which things are changing. There is a question now of whether the world's climate has entered a more you know, erratic and, and dangerous phase. When it comes to predicting extreme weather events like bushfires, we do know based on you know, really long-term climate data that the climate crisis and global warming is accelerating extreme weather. So in Australia, in, in bushfire season, that means we'll have longer and more intense bushfire seasons. So we don't know when they're going to happen, but we do know that they are going to be more frequent and worse. Basically, unfortunately, yes. It does seem just too soon, Donna, to be preparing for another bushfire season after, you know, fire, flood, flood, fire is kind of the pattern that we've seen in the past three, four years. Not to add to the doom and gloom, but on top of that, there's also extreme heat in and of itself as an issue. So what we do know is that experts say major Australian cities like Sydney and Melbourne will be facing 50 degree days by the end of the century, if not sooner. And Western Sydney, for example, is already seeing temperatures in summer up to 10 degrees hotter than um, near the coast. And unfortunately, we do know that it will keep getting hotter. And so we need to be prepared and take measures in advance as a result. Next, the need for hope in the face of heat. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Donna, how hot is too hot for human life? I guess it depends. I mean, generally speaking, as humans, our core body temperature is around 37 degrees. And if we're in environments for prolonged periods of time where we can't maintain that core body temperature and it goes up, that's an issue. But that also depends on, you know, individual risk, for example, the elderly and the very young are more vulnerable to heat stress. It also depends on where you are and whether you have access to air conditioning, for example. So infrastructure also determines your risk. This question of how hot is too hot is super important because we know temperatures will rise even further. And researchers are particularly interested in temperature and humidity when it comes to the impact of high temperatures on humans humidity plays a huge role in how we actually experience heat. And this is something called wet bulb temperature. Mm. What is wet bulb temperature, Donna? It's a measure that they use to kind of measure the amount of cooling that you get from 
evaporation. So how they technically measure it is you put like a, a damp cloth over a thermometer and you blow air onto it and then you measure how much the thermometer temperature drops as a result of the, the cloth water evaporating. Mm. So essentially it's a, you know, one of the ways we regulate our internal body temperature is by sweating. Sweat evaporates more quickly in dry air so it cools us down faster. But when you combine high temperature with high humidity, evaporation slows and so does cooling. So essentially at 100% relative humidity, sweating does nothing to cool our bodies down. Mm. So essentially we can use wet bulb temperature as a proxy measure for heat stress conditions on humans. What is a dangerous wet bulb temperature, Donna? So there's a, a critical threshold, and that's the point at which uh, a healthy human could survive for only about six hours, and that's an estimated temperature of 40 degrees Celsius with a relative humidity of 75%. And as a wet bulb temperature, that's about 35 degrees. Mm. But more recent research has found that the real threshold our bodies can tolerate could be far lower than that. Right. If I saw that there was a prediction of 40 degrees Celsius day, I would think that's pretty hot, but isn't going to be fatal. But if it's combined with high humidity over a really long period of time, it could be. Definitely. And I guess it's important to note that the risk depends on the individual. So even if you're fit and healthy and you can't escape such conditions, our body's core temperatures can rise beyond the survivable range, which means that organs can start failing. Mm. Are we seeing these types of dangerous wet bulb temperatures being recorded around the world yet? Yes, we are. We know that high temperatures are already killing people. Uh, a study published in the journal Nature this month has linked the 2022 European summer, which is the hottest on record to date, to more than 61,000 deaths. And in Australia, we're already seeing First Nations people being displaced from their homelands or facing threats of that because of heat that has become unbearable. Recent research has found that we may already be nearing the threshold values for human survivability for short periods in some parts of the world. Mm. So in 2020, for example, research found that some coastal subtropical locations have already experienced wet bulb temperatures of 35 degrees, albeit only for a few hours. That same study also found that globally, the number of times that a wet bulb temperature of 30 degrees was reached, which is still considered an extreme humidity and heat event. So the number of times that was reached more than doubled between 1979 and 2017. So if we're already seeing these kind of dangerous combinations of humidity and heat and globally temperatures are rising, what can we do as human civilizations to prepare for that heat. So here in Australia, the first annual progress report by the Climate Change Authority, which was released in 2022, said that we needed to strengthen our adaptation and resilience efforts, which includes measures like better urban planning, infrastructure and land use. It also means taking measures to reduce the risk of things like blackouts, say, when our energy systems are under high demand. We do have some recent Australian research that points to solutions in urban environments, which is where the majority of our population lives. So according to the Cooling Western Sydney study, and that was undertaken jointly by the University of New South Wales and Sydney Water, while 
urban greenery does have a cooling effect. The most effective results come from a combination of water-based measures such as fountains and cool material technologies such as cool roofs and pavements. And these cool roofing materials reflect a high proportion of uh, incoming solar energy rather than absorbing it, which makes for cooler roofs. They don't look that visibly different from traditional options, but they do result in significantly lower temperatures. Right. So it could be as simple as installing a a few fountains here and there and changing our roofs. Uh, Are people doing this in Australia? Well, there are state and territory governments who have taken measures to implement things like this. Uh, We do know that, for example, in New South Wales in 2021, the government announced it would move to ban dark roofs. But in 2022, they abandoned this plan after fierce criticism from property developers. In the Northern Territory, the government there says new homes being built are designed to handle local climactic conditions, including extreme heat. And there is a new program to install split system air conditioning systems in the living room of all new remote public housing. Is some of this just buying more time though, Donna? There are some areas in Australia that we know will become unlivable no matter how much aircon you have. Undoubtedly, there will be parts of Australia that perhaps become unlivable in summer and, um, you know, there's only so much aircon and, and white roofing that you can install. I think what it highlights is the urgency with which we need to tackle the root causes of the climate crisis. Yes, we need to adapt to the heat, but also the heat's not going to go away if we ignore the central issue, which is global warming. It has been kind of overwhelming researching this episode. I mean, there's a Guardian article just from May which speaks about 2 billion people potentially being displaced due to global heating. What do you do when reading figures like that that are, you know, kind of despairing and a bit overwhelming? Look, I totally understand that impulse to despair. An article that I turn to a lot, actually, is a Rebecca Solnit piece, which she wrote for us back in 2021. It's called 10 Ways to Confront the Climate Crisis Without Losing Hope. She talks about the fact that though there is so much doom and gloom, it isn't too late to take action and that fatalism, you know, isn't necessarily helpful. And she also talks about the importance of imagination in being able to envisage a future that is also full of hope, even though we do need to take really drastic action and take it immediately. I think as what we're seeing in Europe right now shows we can't bury our heads in the sand. You know, these kinds of extreme weather events are going to happen whether we like them or not. And for me, it really highlights that that we both need to be prepared for more extreme weather. So we need to adapt and be resilient, but we also need to tackle the root cause, which is carbon emissions. And so the only way forward, I think, is to take urgent action. That was Donna Liu, a science writer for Guardian Australia. You can read more of Donna and The Guardian's coverage of rising temperatures at theguardian.com, including her latest piece titled, What Do the Supercharged Northern Hemisphere Heatwaves Mean for the Australian Summer? I also recommend Graham Redfern's reporting on the marine heatwave that's unfolding off the northeast coast of Australia. It's setting off alarm bells over the health of the Great Barrier Reef, especially with the hot summer to come. We've linked to all of this on the Full Story page. 
This episode was produced by Tegan Nichols and Karishma Luthria. Additional production by Miles Herbert. Sound design and mixing by James Milsom. The executive producer was Miles Martignoni. Okay, I'm Laura Murphy-Oates. Catch you tomorrow. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.